a stu stu Studio D production. Like I cried okay. and my buzz amplified. <laughs> like my emotions so ramped. That's, and that's, <laughs> that's the white girl wasted. Oh, that is the white girl wasted. <laughs> Fuck! Now I have to finish the goddamn book. I was hoping to find that reason to quit because it's not very Sit good. down, I want to tell you a story. A really weird and messed up story. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Effed Up Family Storytime. Yeah. I'm Salem. And I'm Hannah. And today we have with us Belle. Woohoo! Hey, everyone. Just the oh. threesome. <laughs> yeah. The Hooray. fearsome threesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How's everyone yeah. doing? Very tired. <laughs> yeah. It's been a rough weekend. It's Labor Day weekend that we're recording this. Yeah. So too much partying. Yeah. So we're going to get into our story for yeah. today. It's actually the third part. And it's of just going to make us more mad. <laughs> the West Memphis Three. Woo. Woo. All right. So oh. Hannah. All right. Take us back into it. When we last left off on March 9th in 1994, Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin had been convicted on three counts of murder. Jason was sentenced to life in prison. Damien was sentenced to death. And on February 5th, the month, the month prior, Jesse Miss Kelly had been convicted of one count of first-degree murder and two counts of second-degree murder. He was also sentenced to life in prison. So pretty much immediately, all three defendants appealed their convictions. Um, judge Burnett, who was the judge who had overseen both of the initial trials, was also overseeing each of these appeals. And that's something that is pretty common in most counties, is where if a judge starts... A case, anytime that case comes back into the court, that judge is the one that presides over it. So, yeah, kind of unfair if you have a bias yeah, situation. Yeah. yeah, like it makes sense in that, like, the judge has seen everything up to that point, you know, has like the most experience with the case. And I feel like in most cases it is good, but the moment that you catch any ounce of bias i feel like there should be an investigation yeah. or something yeah. to really because like it's not something that should be taken so lightly like this is people's entire lives exactly in your hands yeah. you know and you're like well i think they worship the devil there were very obvious moments throughout the first initial trials that you could tell that judge burnett had a bias yeah <laughs> um, and that was one of their complaints i thought was that the counsel yeah. and the judge had bias yeah and that a lot of things were brought into court that shouldn't have been brought into court. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So with the popularity of the pop of the Paradise Lost documentary, a lot of people started giving their time and their money to help the West Memphis Three's defense. And as mentioned before in the previous episode, Vincent Vincent DeMaio, who was a well-renowned medical examiner from Texas, who had written a book that Dr. Peretti, who was the medical examiner in this case, had quoted. And he had said that uh, Vincent DeMaio would agree with him. Vincent DeMaio came out and said, no, I don't agree with him. <laughs> yeah, like he's way wrong. Yeah, mm -hmm. he said that the autopsies were expertly done. So it wasn't that uh, Dr. Frank Peretti's 
autopsy skills weren't up to par. It's that his interpretation of the autopsies were completely wrong, in Vincent DeMaio's opinion. Were they wrong or were they paid for? <laughs> um, it It seems, I mean, in my opinion, it doesn't really seem that Dr. Frank Peretti was like, I don't know. He just seemed incompetent, honestly. Yeah. Do you think and, he didn't but, make shit up? I think he just made shit up because that's well, what... Well, and in Arkansas, Arkansas is one of the few states that the medical examiner is paid for. Like, they work for the government instead yeah. of being a third party. So... So they're kind of in the pocket of yeah. the government. So he is technically... Technically, yes. paid for. <laughs> but... I, I, I think a lot of it was incompetency as yeah. well. I think it was a mixture of the two. Yeah. Um, I mean, like at any job, your employer tells you to do something. You yeah, do and you're it. like, okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> you pay the bills, whatever you say. <laughs> so Vincent DeMaio said that there wasn't any evidence that any of the wounds had been done with a knife, either the cutting edge, the tip, or the back of the knife. And you can see, because there's footage of the the initial trial that um, HBO filmed for the Paradise Lost documentaries. And they try and explain some of the wounds away by, like, using the back of the knife and scraping it and saying that, like, that's what caused like the with wounds. the handle? No, no, no. With, like, because you have oh, the sharp edge of the blade like the and then the back of, of okay. the blade. And it was a serrated knife on the back, uh, mm-hmm. so it ha- still had a sharp edge. Oh. But it's still, like, in the way that they're trying yeah. to explain it, no one would ever use a knife that way. Yeah, <laughs> this is the knife that they found in the the pond or whatever. Yeah, the... in the lake behind Jason Baldwin's house. Yeah. Okay, that they had been told about by, by Jason's his, mother, his who had thrown it there a year before. Um, <laughs> and the appearance of the wounds indicated that they occurred after death. There was an irregular nature of wounds with no bleeding and no pattern to them. And according to Vincent DeMaio, these wounds suggested obvious animal activity. Mm. So instead of them being like torture marks, like what was like put was forward in the trial. Yeah. They they said that they tortured the boys before they killed them. But these appear to occur after death and they appeared to be irregular in the same way that like an animal would well and they were found in a in a river yes in the south yeah with a bunch of alligators oh. other animals turtles yes i'm yeah. getting into the turtles yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes um there were lots of turtles in the the river that they were found in and robin hood hills also had a different name of turtle hill or Turtle City, because there were so many turtles there, and the time Cute. of year that they were found was like the mating season or the breeding season uh, of the when turtles. They get all aggro. Yeah, so there were more turtles. They were agitated during that time. Can you <laughs> imagine living in a town where, like, for a couple of months out of the year, there were just like angry turtles all over the place? <laughs> I'd be terrified. That would be so cool. I would just go like, up at a safe don't distance touch it. and watch them film them. Like, <laughs> And I don't think they would attack living people necessarily, no. but if you're still in the water, yeah. they're just going to see you as meat. I mean, oh, I yeah. wouldn't recommend swimming in those rivers yeah. if no. all the turtles and are mating. I mean, you think too, like if there's like breeding season and there's a bunch of them, like resources are scarce and so they're going well, yeah. to need to eat for, whatever they can. They're like going to they, go for any easy meal. Yeah. You know, I just had a thought, and I hadn't thought about this before, but, you know, if they knew, if somebody knew from the area that that was Turtle Hill and that it was mating season, do you think somebody put those boys' bodies 
in that water hoping that the turtles would eat them and like before distort the evidence i mean that's possible people put bodies in I mean, pigsties we're and the never pigs gonna find out who actually committed these crimes well, yeah, never. so we'll never know why they full <laughs> rant about that at the end <laughs> yeah there's um, just a killer yeah. out there wandering around so john richards who's a turtle breeder um, in the West of Memphis documentary, which is the one, yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> in the West of Memphis documentary, which is the one that Peter Jackson and his wife did, um, John Richards allows himself to be bitten by a snapping turtle. And <laughs> yeah, the bite, when you see the bite, he shows you like, an immediate photo of the bite and then they put it next to a photo of one of the marks on Christopher Byers I believe Mm -hmm. and they look almost identical and that's even with like the bleeding and all the other stuff that okay yeah, and, and they, the fact that like the genitals were gone, that is something oh. that I'm sorry, am I breaking? No, no, no. I just it wasn't Christopher Byers; it was Stevie Branch. Oh, okay, okay. But the fact that the genitals were missing, oftentimes animals will go for the softer parts. Yeah, like the yes. eyeballs and the genitals. I know that anything that's I'm, dangling is going to attract attention. We prepared for if I die while I still own pear. I'm, I'm, I believe that Ollie <laughs> will wait until he gets hungry before he starts to eat me. But I am Pear absolutely right convinced. Away. I have seen Pear sometimes like taking a nap and Pear is like sniffing at my eyes. I do not trust that cat. <laughs> this would be a tasty grape like He won't treat. even wait for you to be dead. You'll just be like yeah, in a I'll deep be nap. Like, well, I'll, I'll be laying on the floor dying and that'll be my final moment. And I'll be like, your I'll eye. Be like Pear, <laughs> Pear, no. <laughs> Pear. Oh, that's horrifying. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, like you said, animals go after if animals choose to go after a body that go after the soft tissue first like that's just a well-known fact (laughs) like when you see bodies that have been eaten or attacked by animals after death most of the tissue that is missing is like soft tissue like ears the scrotum the nose the nose yeah and yeah, there's a lot Facial of times tissue. where your genitals, the genitals are missing. Mm-hmm. For me, it would be boobies too, because mine are kind of dangly. <laughs> I think my boobies would be okay. <laughs> Just worried about my eyes. So Dr. DeMaio believes that the horrific crime of these three young children being murdered, as well as the, as the state that the bodies were found in, caused a lot of people to wrap their emotions into their judgment and the opinions. And... That like a lot of these people in West Memphis were so mad. And the reason that they arrested these three people without very much evidence is because of the people in West Memphis wanting it to get over. Demanding the the justice. They had the pressure of the community wanting justice. And and sometimes when you have that, it's almost like a mob mentality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's better to have a wrong Con- suspect than to have no suspect. The yeah. problem is, is that they continued to prosecute the wrong yeah. suspect. Yeah. It's one thing to be like, we've got someone in custody, chill the fuck out. When you know damn well that person didn't do it, yeah. and you're gonna cut them. Well, loose. and like this happens with cases that involve children a lot of the time. Is yeah. that people are so upset it's just at what happened so... that their emotions override yeah. their mm-hmm. critical thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh, the people who were behind the West of Memphis documentary, they paid for six or seven different medical examiners to 
examine the findings and they all came back with similar findings that DeMaio had come back with. And that was that there was no indication that the injury sustained occurred when the three boys were alive. Um, so Peter Jackson and Fran, yes, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I, w- my personal opinion is that's hard to determine like definitively when the body spent so much time in the water and it yeah. was so, and then they spent so much time in the hot sun and with all the decomposition. Mm-hmm. Well, and just the initial act of the medical examiner not, or the coroner not being called until like three hours yeah. after they had found the bodies. I just can like really fuck up what your findings are actually going to yeah. be. So like from the beginning, this case was like the evidence was kind of sabotage. Yeah. I just feel like you could say, yes, those injuries could likely have been caused post-mortem. Yeah. But they could also have likely not been. I mean, that's where I feel like you yeah. would sit with, and I'm not an, obviously not a medical examiner, like what you had said, like the, you know, the evidence from the very beginning was kind of fucked, like all of, and then, you know, just like the bias judge, like all of the evidence that could have potentially helped these kids yeah, be, you know, yeah, and like not seen even, as not guilty, like not committed the crime that they didn't fucking do, not was even, omitted from the court because of this asshole judge. Like <laughs> Not even bringing in that, like, if there was more evidence, then Damien, Jesse and Jason wouldn't have gone to prison, but then... Christopher, Stevie, and Michael would have fucking gotten justice. Like, I think that's the most upsetting thing. No, absolutely. Well, yes, these people spent decades in prison, and, like, that is a fucking injustice, and it's great that they're out. Well, and as a taxpayer, it's frustrating that, you know, I'm having to pay for decades of these innocent boys to sit in prison for years. Well, and their appeals and all of the court time and shit. Yeah, on that. Their public defenders. (laughs) You could have just found the guy that killed these kids in the first place. So Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh then paid for more DNA testing along with the help of Damien's wife, Lori Davis. And they found, because there was DNA that was taken from the original crime scene, but it was 1993 or 1994 at that point. And like the DNA testing was either not available or didn't exist. Yeah, (laughs) And so it around like, I think this would have been around maybe like 2009 or so. Like, their second appeal? I don't know. Yeah, that Um, sounds about right, maybe. But, like, even just in that short amount of time, the amount of growth that DNA texting had achieved in that amount of time. That was, like, like, what, like, 15 years? Like, 2009 to... It's amazing how the strides that we took in such a short amount of time mm-hmm. and how many cases have been solved just because, because of that. Yeah. we yeah. had that technology. Shit was entered into a database and, oh, look, we solved this 20-year-old murder. So of all of the samples taken from the crime scene, none of them matched Damien, Jason, or Jesse. Well, duh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Of the DNA that was at the original crime scene, there were two unknown hairs that couldn't be tested in 1993 when they were found. And like in the later testing, they didn't match any of the three boys. They didn't match any of the three boys who were murdered or any of the three boys who went to prison. Okay, So So who else (laughs) was there? Yeah. It's funny to me to imagine that they kept these hairs just like locked away in like a police station for 15 years if, until they were like, wow, we finally can do something with this. I mean, there was so many cases. No, it's crazy. So of the two hairs that were found at the original crime scene, one of them was found in the bindings and ligature and ligatures of 
one of the victims. I don't remember which victim it was exactly. But the the point is, it was not found like on top of them. It was found tied into the ligatures. Oh, so it wouldn't have just been like, yeah. oh, like their parents yeah, left the hair on their body. It suggested like, that it wasn't transfer DNA. Yes. I just want to play devil's advocate That's and fair. just talk about we have a lot of hair around our house and, yeah, and we have more than most people. So maybe this is why I see it. But I have seen hairs that have woven themselves into fabric. So oh, if it's a fabric yeah. shoelace coming from that house, it's not completely unforeseeable that you would find. Oh, yes, because it was Stevie Branch's ligature. And it was, which is Terry Hobbs's Okay, and son. so I'm jumping the gun a little bit because you didn't yeah. release that information, but that's not that unforeseeable that you would have. No, yeah, and now, go ahead, Bo. <laughs> I do want to say, just going off of that, that there have been several times where I have pulled full strands of hair that have, like, woven themselves into Kyle's beard. It's <laughs> just like, oh, babe, watch out, and then it'll, like, it'll be, like, woven across his whole face. I'll pull it out, he'll be like, that tickles me. <laughs> George found an entire one of my hairs actually wrapped around and, and into the bristles of his toothbrush. Oh, which no. means he had actually brushed his teeth. He had to have for his it to be like so tangled up in down there. in there. Oh, and no. he was all grossed out. He calls me. He's like, why is there a hair on my toothbrush? I'm like, I don't know. Because I, I did shed, it on purpose. Because I shed hair and I brushed my hair in the bathroom. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's not official that it wasn't transfer DNA. It's just with where it was placed, it is more likely, like, it's not as easy to just be like, oh, that's no, transfer No, it DNA. shouldn't be dismissed, and no. it should be yes. followed up on, but... Because if it were anywhere else, then I think they would have just been like, oh, that's transfer DNA. But if it DNA. were anywhere else, it would have been washed off in the river. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, because there was a second hair. The second hair oh. was found on a tree trunk mm. near where the bodies were. Oh. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, how I just like the amount of earth sign energy that it takes to be the person to find that kind of evidence. We found one hair on a tree trunk 30 yards away from where the bodies were located. (laughs) That is is some Virgo or Capricorn energy if I've ever heard it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So according to Fran Walsh and Lori Davis... They thought that there were only three possible killers with the information that they had gathered over the years. They thought it could either be John Mark Byers, Terry Hobbs, or Tob Moore, which are the three fathers of the three victims. So of the three fathers, Mark Byers began looking for Christopher starting at 6 p.m. on the night that he was murdered. Terry Hobbs started looking for Stevie starting at 5 p.m., supposedly. Um, (laughs) Todd Moore was out of town. Um, I think the whole week. He had a solid alibi, didn't yes. he? Yeah. Like he was proven to be out of town the night that his son went missing. But he was one of the main focuses at first, wasn't he? Because yes, they he investigated acted him so weirdly. Yeah, but then I think they substantiated his um, alibi and they were like, oh, okay. And then they moved on to John Mark Byers. The only one of the parents who wasn't really looked at, or at least the only one of the fathers that wasn't really looked at, was Terry Hobbs. Which, why? I just... Ugh. <laughs> How horrible is that that you like go out of town on vacation in and the 90s where you don't have murdered. like immediate text communication with everybody all the time? John Mark Byers was one of the like like I said he was the only parent who was like fully investigated the, by the police. Um they did look a little bit into Todd Moore, but not as much as they did into John Mark Byers. And he said himself that he was the giant red herring of the case cuz this guy is like 6 
like five. Like he's a big, tall guy. He's big. He's not very educated. Like he was he the one that was acting weird? It wasn't the other guy. John Mark Byers. He was kind of acting weird. There are certain things that he said, um, like when he was talking to the news, when he got, he first had the news broke to him by the police investigators. He like said something to the news crew. Yeah. He's the one. Yeah. He was acting kind of weird, but also he (laughs) has a history of drug abuse. He was a drug dealer in West Memphis. He was working with the police as a drug informant. Um, He had a, brain tumor he had brain cancer during the time of like the initial investigation he was on make people act really weird and he was on a lot of like mood stabilizers he was on drugs for the pain he was on drugs for the cancer like he had a lot of shit going on that caused him to act a little strange okay okay well and i just feel like Grief does so many weird things to people. Even yeah. just looking at COVID this last year, like all of us were collectively grieving our lives and it made everybody fucking crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and then like, you know, I just feel like, oh, the parents were acting weird when this kid was murdered. Yeah. It's yeah. not a good, <laughs> you know, like on, on True Crime Garage, the colonel and the captain are always like, like to point out that you can't judge how somebody reacts to a traumatic situation because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we all will react differently yeah. and nobody can tell nobody how they're going to react until yeah. it happens it's just like you. everybody likes to say well if i was in I that situation that. i would do that well you don't have any fucking clue because i have been yeah. frozen by fear mm-hmm. i have had emergencies come into work where i have been frozen by the adrenaline where i didn't know what to fucking do not because i was new just because for whatever reason that frame of mind i was in when it came in and the way it caught me off guard that's how I responded. I've also been involved in emergencies where I was the fucking queen bee in that. And I handled everything. Like I put a catheter in a dog's leg while the owner was standing there holding the dog, talking to Janet on the other side, holding the dog. And neither one of them even realized I'd placed the catheter. That's just how <laughs> fucking fast and quick I was at doing my job. Well, and yeah. some of it, it also can be like a physiological response, mm-hmm. not just a mental response. Yeah. Like your body can just react the way that it reacts because of the certain like just like whatever you just, the, whatever the hormones happens. your brain is creating in that moment well, like it's unless all, you're a trained soldier yeah. you can never know and it's, even then there's moments yeah, i'm yeah. sure where they are, are surprised by their own reaction and even just like we were talking about earlier like on a small scale like why is it that sometimes you can joke about certain things that you might or might not be insecure about and on some days it makes you really emotional it's just like the tumble of life sometimes yeah, yeah. sometimes you're equipped to handle it and sometimes you're fucking not Exactly. Like, exactly. Well, and I think with with John Mark Byers, one of the things that makes me so fucking mad about the Paradise Lost documentary, and this is all hindsight, because when watching the first two documentaries, because um, it's three parts of it when you watch part one and part two, they really lean really heavily on saying that John Mark Byers killed these boys and like saying it outright. Like and there are points bullshit. when Damien says it. There are points when like. Maybe not outright, but like the the editing crew and the producers will with say it in a way. Else's life, so you're yes. making a documentary about how these poor kids' lives were totally fucking ruined because these judgments that were unfounded were placed upon them, and in the process, you're going to place unfounded judgment publicly on another individual to fuck up his life. Nice. Yeah. Well, and especially Damien, while he has brain cancer, Damien has apologized since then because, and he like wrote letters to John Mark Byers when he was in prison, and he said, "I'm sorry, I was doing to you what they." did to me and i don't ever want to do that to another person and like that's awesome yeah damien eccles is a is a fucking great example of fucking Mm self-growth self-awareness 
Well, and I feel like of of all the people that didn't deserve it, you know, because he genuinely, like, you know, like you said, like the self-growth and the self-awareness and like, you know, like had he had the opportunity to really make his life into whatever he wanted it to. He could have been really, so, but he still has, I mean, actually, he's made a life for himself. Yeah. 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 And, he's, and he's made a difference. I haven't read his books yet. I have the one that I want to read and there's mm. others that I want to buy just because I am into a cult and all mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. I want to see his perspective. Yeah. But one of my favorite Things lines that I that I got from the documentary was where they were interviewing Damien, and I think I probably said this on one of the previous episodes, but they were interviewing him in prison, and he was talking about how when he first got into the whole magic and the occult, and he wanted to study it, and he wanted to learn everything, and he said, "This I am going to master this in my lifetime." Little did I know I was setting myself up <laughs> to spend twenty years in prison where I didn't have time to do anything but read yeah. and master yeah. this. But that was his goal to begin with, so you know he fucking ran with it. I don't know. Damien's life in prison was really fucking horrible. Well, oh, I'm and not saying prison. No, is I easy. know, but like his specific like, experience was, yeah, horrific. And I um, and I'm sure he didn't wish for it. No. And it's not a fair trade, but it's just kind of was an interesting, <laughs> yeah, perspective on it. Even though he went through all of that shit, he's still putting that spin on it. That mm-hmm. like, this is what I can get from it. This is. I don't know. We all have our purpose. Maybe that That's was his purpose. Crazy. I had no idea. You were talking about this and it made me think, have you guys watched Midnight Gospel on no, Netflix? I want to. Um, it, it's uh, Duncan Trussell, the podcaster. He basically just like took like his podcasts and it's like the animator that did Adventure Time. Mm-hmm. He like animated a bunch of trippy shit over it. I recommend getting <laughs> high and watching it because it's, <laughs> it's, it's really good. But he actually interviewed Damien Eccles, and that was what he was talking about in the oh. episode. And I actually looked it up because I wanted to know who it was that he interviewed. Because, like, it's like, you know, he's like this fucking fish man in the show, you know. But he was talking about that, about having to, you know, he had all of this time. I had no idea. Like, that's crazy. I just made that connection. <laughs> like, cool. well, I looked it up right now. No, that's cool. That's but cool. that's what he was talking rec- Like, especially since you are talking about. You that quote. Yeah, like, like that, yeah. just like his him talking about his experience, like being in prison and having to, you know, having nothing but time, but to recognize his power and, and, you know, to want to master something, to want to be better, to want to grow, to want to improve constantly. That's crazy. And I'm sure that his delving into all of that is what helped him to maintain the outlook that he has. And do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. yeah. Like, you have to have some sort of insightfulness to be able to go through something like that yeah. and still maintain an, a positive enough outlook to have a life. Well, mm-hmm. and I, I mean... Because I could see myself becoming a miserable bastard. Oh, yeah. If this would have... Something like this would have happened to me when I was 18, I would have become a fuck. Right I would have become a shit. I would have become later. a thug. I would have gotten involved in dirty shit. I probably would have ended up getting killed. I would have been yeah. a loudmouth asshole. Well, I would have been three, a dick. All three of these boys like the entire time that they were in prison they just had so much hope and so much faith that like they they knew they weren't guilty and that they were going to get out of this and that like coming out of prison they like they did a quote-unquote good job in prison and they were model prisoners because they didn't 
want to be criminals because they were criminals. criminals. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you were saying, Mom, I have a hard time at 28 years old, 10 years past 18, not (laughs) letting shitty Denver traffic turn me into a bitter, raging (laughs) asshole. So I couldn't even imagine what being wrongfully convicted of three children's murders would have done to me. (laughs) You would have a lot of time to sit and think about it. And anger does tend to peter out after a while. But I can't promise that I would have been not a resentful, angry person I feel like Damien Eccles does a really good job of just like understanding. And this is something that I personally struggle with, which I feel like is why I noticed it so much, but just understanding how your life touches everybody else. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and like understanding kind of like the domino effect and the ripple that you Mm -hmm. have in every person that you interact with, you know? Yeah. But anyway, enough praise for um, still maybe murder, but probably doubt it. (laughs) Highly doubt it. (laughs) Uh, okay. But what I, what I wanted to say about the Paradise Lock doc, Lost documentary and John Mark Byers is that throughout the documentaries, he has this like huge personality and the way he acts at times is very strange and like very played up for the cameras. And I think they took that and a lot of people, a lot of like the public took that and used that to be like, oh, well, he's hiding something mm-hmm. like there's a part in the second part of the documentary where he goes to the site where they found the bodies where they presume that these three boys were murdered and he puts like stakes in the ground with each of like Damien, Jason and Jesse's faces on it and he lights it on fire and he just like sits there and watches it burn and he's saying all this stuff about how you killed my baby, you killed all three of these babies and now you're going to burn in hell and I'm going to watch you burn and I'm going to dance on your graves and like it, it's very strange to watch. That's like, a weird did, thing, but that's something that I might do. Yeah. I would just not, I would make sure there was no cameras watching me. <laughs> well, so see, it would be in I the was... middle of the fucking night, which would be even creepier. And he's just a very theatrical person. I was feeling the opposite in that like me, anytime, even on iPhone camera, I see somebody trying to take a selfie. I will try my best to photobomb that selfie. Well, yeah, I turn into an that. absolute fucking ham. Anytime I know that I know, there's a chance I know. that anybody's watching me. Even when you were a kid, I even in get traffic, a good picture of you if i have a sense that somebody's glancing over at me if we're stopped at the same red light i will ramp up my dancing yeah and it's i, like, I, I know, think john mark you, byers really leaned into and it you can't trust the same way that you can't judge somebody how they act after grieving you yeah. also can't trust the way somebody acts in front of a camera when they know that yeah. they're going to be perceived by millions potentially of people exactly when they're trying to paint themselves in a specific it's, way the reason why reality tv is Is not not real (laughs) yeah so all of that to say john mark byers knew he was weird they he knew that people would perceive him as strange so he called himself the giant red herring yeah he's also a redhead which i think is why he called himself a red herring which is kind of funny and cute it's kind of our it's like and you said he was what like six five (laughs) the giant red herring yeah (laughs) um but i mean it's kind of similar though like you would like in previous episodes we had talked about how like Damien Eccles especially was, you know, leaned into this, you know, being the weird occult kid yeah. because he didn't have any and other like, choice because people were talking shit about him and shit that he can't control. Yeah. So it's kind of like creating this narrative. And the and biggest I wonder thing, if, sorry, was John 
Mark Byers. Mark Byers. If he had a similar kind of like, I'm already the weird fucking person yeah, in absolutely. this small community. So like, what, what more shit could they possibly talk about me? The, yeah. the biggest reason that he started to be seen as that person is when Paradise Lost made it to like cities. Um. So people who would look at West Memphis in general and then look at John Mark Byers who is very much a rural man he's not very well educated he has lived in Arkansas his whole life they look at him and they say oh look at that hick in the same way that people looked at Damien in West Memphis and they went oh look at that Satanist yeah like it's very there's a lot of parallels there in between the two a lot of stereotyping going on yeah so Damien's team was interested at this point in Terry Hobbs, who was the only person that the police had never interviewed. They didn't even interview him. Isn't that so? <laughs> isn't that so unfortunate though that like Damien's legal team, the only chance that they get to get him off of this fucking wrongful conviction was to prove that somebody else did it. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. good enough to prove that he didn't. It wasn't they good had enough to, to prove, prove yeah. guilt onto somebody that else. That he had an unfair trial because the evidence was not. And the judge was completely fucking biased. I mean, the evidence <laughs> was not fucking, should not have been admissible. Yeah. No. Admiss- admissed. Well, and even with <laughs> the the introduction Admitted. of the fact that none of the DNA matched any three of these yeah. these people, like that still wasn't there enough. Was they had no- to try concrete evidence absolutely it was all none it was all circumstantial and bringing evidence. in his journal bringing in his writings bringing in all of that shit was fucking should not have been admitted no lots of it shouldn't have i mean been. we talked about this last week but i just think and how fucking coerced appalling it is i mean if anybody fucking even pulled up my text to kyle with the amount of times that i've threatened to blow up the government <laughs> i, I would absolutely be, be like, convicted oh, no. for a crime I'm that really i didn't careful do. about it because your dad yells at me every time that i'm like on the phone with him talking about how if, you know i'm not saying that i uh, in front of it while I was going at a substantial speed. No, I'm and not saying like, that I wish that every that politician in this country, you know, I'm not saying They're I'm going to kill every kill politician her. in this country, but if they all happen to die in the same catastrophic accident, <laughs> I wouldn't be mad about I'd it. I'd kind of have oh, a party. No. So Damien's team ended up hiring an, a, a private investigator named Rachel Geyser. Okay. So Geyser attempted to get Terry Hobbs' DNA without his knowledge. And they wanted to test it against the two hairs that they had found. So she arrived at Terry Hobbs's house early on February 24th of 2007. At this point, Terry Hobbs and um, Pamela Hobbs had divorced. And I'll kind of get into that later about how volatile their relationship was and how terrible their divorce was and all of that. Um, But so Terry was living by himself at this point. And he told Rachel Geis... Rachel Geyser, after she came up and introduced herself, he said that he had been waiting for them, which is just like a weird thing to say. Mm. <laughs> but then I've also, been waiting for you because yeah. I knew that I would be a suspect because I've done something wrong. That's well, but how also I, would... I, I can playing devil's advocate. I can kind of see how it's like I was never interviewed, so I've been waiting for someone to interview me. But Terry, That's true. Terry also is very adamant and has been very adamant from day one that. Damien did this that like Damien Jason and Jesse did this because it's his out yeah (laughs) Rachel interviewed Terry and he told her that this was the first time he had told or even been asked about his whereabouts on the night of the murders so like I mentioned earlier he was never interviewed by the police I feel like you know 
With as many times as it is the parents, well, that's yeah. just standard procedure. Exactly. Your kid goes missing and you interview the fucking parents. Yeah, that's and the first thing you should do, just like if a, a spouse is found dead. You they interview, interview your spouse. fucking spouse. Exactly. And the fact that he is the only parent was never who interviewed. was never interviewed. Did you mention that he fuck? works with the police department? Didn't no, you say? John Mark Byers was oh, an informant with the, the police. With the drugs, okay. Yes. No, that's... So right. who did he know? Yeah. Why was well, he never interviewed? <laughs> I'll get into okay, that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so while they were, while Terry like walked into another room, uh, Rachel Geyser took cigarette butts from Terry Hobbs's ashtray and tested them against the samples that they had. But Rachel Geyser wasn't with the police. She was a private investigator. So she could legally get like, she could legally get his DNA, and if it tested positive, that still couldn't be used in court. It couldn't be admissible. Okay. Because he didn't consent to giving a DNA test. Okay. So, it just like he, helps it's with not the like he went down yes. to, like, the police station and, and was did like, this. yeah, test like, she me. showed up at his house. Yeah. So, Rachel Geyser took cigarette butts from Terry Hobbs's ashtray and tested them against the samples. Surprise, surprise, the DNA matched. What? Um, so Terry was then taken down and told about this and like questioned vaguely. Um, and he refused to give a sample of DNA voluntarily. So it wasn't admissible, like we were saying earlier. So finally, in 2007, after this had come forward that like the that Terry had never been interviewed, that the DNA matched with Terry's, the West Memphis PD interviewed Terry Hobbs. In 2007, over a decade after the crimes had been committed. He was finally interviewed. For the first time. So when he was interviewed, Terry Hobbs's alibi for the night of the mur murders was that he was with David Jacoby, who was his friend at the time. He said that he was with Jacoby the whole night until around two or three in the morning, and they were both looking for Stevie Branch. There was another DNA sample at the crime scene, because there were the two hairs that they found. The second hair that was found on the branch or on the trunk of the tree was consistent with David Jacoby's DNA. <laughs> two guys who said they were out all night doing shit. With each other. With each other. But okay. the only two DNA evidence. Devil's advocate yeah. again. <laughs> if they were out searching for the boys... Could they have gone down to that area but not seen the bodies well, because if, they were weighted down? And how long did it take for them to float to the surface? Yeah, well, well and there's that too. And if it was the down. night that they were even missing, you were know, they like, even do in we the have river a timeline of how, you know, I don't were know. Were they even in the river at that point? So I mean, David the, Jacoby's DNA could have been out there if he searched in that yeah. area. And Hobbs's uh, DNA could have been in the shoelace because he lived in the house. And yeah. we know yeah. the hairs can embed themselves into fabric. Well, and that's what... Which is still weird. That's what Terry Hobbs's whole defense was during this time. It's still weird, Again, but you can't I say wonder. for sure. But I want to say, yes. if you're going to convict those poor three teenage boys on, yes. nothing, on nothing, but you're going to go, Not oh, gonna fucking well, even interview. that hair could have woven itself into that fabric. Oh, yeah. So... <laughs> so after the the revelation that the dna matched terry hobbs and david jacoby damien requested a retrial with the presentation of new dna evidence this case was again going to be presented in front of judge burnett who was the same fairly biased judge 
yeah, that had that, overseen that Bosick judge yep. down there in Arkansas. <laughs> you say fairly biased, like you're trying to give them the benefit of the I doubt. I mean, <laughs> in my personal opinion, he was an extremely biased judge. So it was going to be presented once again to Judge Burnett. He said that the evidence wasn't enough for a new trial or to overturn the conviction. What a shocker. The evidence that the DNA didn't match any of the three people who had been imprisoned. The evidence that pointed yeah. to two very specific people uh, wasn't yeah. enough. That yeah. said they were together. Yes. Wasn't way. enough to even get a new trial. So yeah. Like to overturn the conviction, that's really hard to do. You have to have very concrete evidence that like this other person committed this crime. But to get that's a new trial evidence. I just don't to get, get a, a new trial. Yeah. The, the only thing that I know about the American justice system is that it's built on the principle of innocent until proven guilty. But every yeah. single trial that I seem to research, I feel like they run it the opposite. Why? Because well, why? this one because they had key players. Yep. That hated and wanted to hurt the people that they convicted. Period. End yep. of story. I, I I really think Judge Burnett just had such a bias he had when he went into him. it yeah. because there were so many things that he would not admit during trial that the defense tried to put forward, but then he would go and ask the prosecution like about all of this occult shit Again, that they had the no journal. real evidence for. What the, fuck the fucking was the guy who came in, in who got a degree oh, on demonologist or yeah. whatever the Satanist, the Satanologist, like, and he so admitted all of that, but he wouldn't admit the guy that finally admitted that he got his degree out of a Cracker Jack box, yes. essentially. But he wouldn't admit evidence during Jesse Miss Kelly's trial. That like he wouldn't allow the expert witness for the defense to come up and say that this was a coerced confession. So like Judge Burnett was very biased from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And then he just continued right. because he wanted he didn't want. And I think that's where it comes in. He didn't want to say that he was wrong. He didn't so want with to every appeal. Just... He would say, no, I did everything correctly. The court did everything yep. correctly. So I'm not going to allow it's this appeal. So frustrating. Yep. So around the time that this like appeal was happening with Damien. Judge Burnett was up for election for, I think, like a Senate political seat. He was up for some political seat. That would mean if he was elected, he could no longer be a presiding judge and he wouldn't be able to oversee these appellate appeal, like these appeals. He wouldn't be in the appellate court. He wouldn't be in any court. And so that, so that was like a benefit that this guy yeah, got so a like fucking these promotion. People, despite how much they were like, he fucked up. They were rooting for this man to get a promotion so that he wouldn't be on Disgusting. this case anymore. And that's anymore. the only fucking Disgusting. thing that saved the goddamn case, fucking, I yes, think. Because Burnett Disgusting. won. It, it was District 15 Senate. And he won, so that meant that they got a new chance it's with a different judge. But it got these, but it guys. got these people to get the appeal that yeah. they rightfully had deserved. Yeah. I hate it here. I um, know it's disgusting. It makes you want to take a shower. I also like to put in uh, because. John Fogelman, who was the prosecuting attorney in the initial trial, who is a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. uh, and I will die on that hill. <laughs> yes. He was running for Supreme Court at this time and he lost. And Woo! I think that's fucking hilarious. Yeah. He was running for the Arkansas Supreme Court, not 
the federal Supreme Court. Yeah. Fuck him. Um, Yeah, I think it's great that he lost because fuck that guy. (laughs) (laughs) And I would have wished that um, Judge Burnett would have lost, but it benefited the case. But it would have really fucked over the case if he had lost. So So it's good for everybody involved that he won. Yeah, but how many people did he fuck over by being elected to Senate? Oh, I'm sure so (laughs) many. Less people than he fucked over being a judge, honestly. I mean, that's true. You have more control over an individual person's life yeah. once you, well and once you get to that point like what realistically do you do you do this yeah drink some scotch talk about our wives home 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 rub elbows that's what they yep. do <laughs> nothing important nothing yep. um so that is where we're gonna take our break did you like my, my little hum, 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 rub elbows? I am not a crook. <laughs> Hooray! true. So, when we left off before the break, uh, Judge Burnett had been elected he had won district 15 in the senate race so he was no longer going to be involved in the west memphis three case um around the same time natalie mains of the dicks formerly known as the dixie chicks now known as the chicks, the chicks which i love she was sued by terry hobbs because the the dixie chicks was one of the the bands that was like very heavily involved in the those concerts that and they the, did with like, like Eddie Vedder like the concerts and shit. Yeah. Eddie Vedder, Johnny Depp, the Dixie chicks. Um, a lot of like famous people had been very involved in this. Yeah. And Natalie Maines was like very outspoken, mm-hmm. which I can I just say, I fucking love the Dixie chicks. Lo- I love the chicks. Yeah. For no, me too. always their entire career being very politically outspoken. Just like really when their, their main minds. demographic was conservative Southerners. Yeah. And so like what the reason that their career essentially ended, which is very unfortunate because also I love their music. Yeah. But when they spoke out against fucking um, Bush George Bush and, and they the were shit that happened with 9/11 yeah they were and, essentially blacklisted because why? the majority of their their the majority you know, like of most country music listeners yes, are know, conservative white so, southerners it makes me so sad because just especially fuck- as an artist just like you know stripping your 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 artistic voice like the whole reason you create yeah. art is to make a point and to make people think um so so natalie mains talked a lot during these benefits about how terry hobbs's dna had been connected to the crime scene and how she thought it was terry hobbs um which is all like quote-unquote conjecture at that point like yeah. there's nothing legally tying terry hobbs to this case Unfortunately. um so terry hobbs was able to sue her for defamation so, because Terry Hobbs had sued Natalie Maines, he opened himself up to um, a deposition so they could ask him questions basically about anything at that point. And so Natalie Maines' lawyers and her legal team 
started questioning him about the murders and about his involvement in them. Bet he didn't see that one coming. Mm-hmm. I don't think he did. So during the deposition, Natalie Maines' lawyers brought up Mildred French, who was an old neighbor of Terry Hobbs. and Badass old lady. Oh, such a badass old lady. Um, cool. Mildred French said that she had heard sounds of Terry abusing his children and wife, and this was before he was married to Pamela Hobbs before he was stepfather to Stevie Branch. But Mildred French confronted Terry Hobbs about this. She like marched over to his house and like went, did she just like go into his house or did she knock on the door? I don't know. I think she just knocked on the door, but But she she like went over there and confronted him. What's going on? Because she heard very not good noises coming from her. But wasn't she French? A hero! Wasn't she French? She said she was French. Her last name is French. Oh, okay. So Terry Hobbs threatened Mildred French when she went over there to confront him about all of this. Later, Hobbs broke into Mildred's home, grabbed her breasts when she saw him and confronted him, and then ran away. Um, when French called the police... Yeah, did she press charges? She Yes, she Good. she tried to press charges. I don't know if it ever like went so through. So this is oh. when... Again, the police are useless! Yeah. <laughs> so this is when... He broke into her house. Is that what you said? And yes. groped her. Assaulted, and assaulted her. She was going to get into the shower. Yes. And he came behind her and grabbed her and held her yes. with his hands on her breast. Like you glossed over it like it See, was a yeah, very no, you, like, oh, he uh, touched no, 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 no. Like he very much no. assaulted um, her. He broke no. into her house. She had just That's gotten out the of thing. the shower, I think. I'm very aggressive. Sure, I'm pretty sure we have the, uh, don't we have the Make My Day Law in Colorado where if anybody trespasses yeah. on, so you, we you, do. Can, you can kill them? Mildred French went to the police after this encounter where Terry Hobbs broke into her home. Um, when she anything. was telling the police about it, Terry said that didn't happen. So he just like, oh, no, what are you talking about? Well, no, let's be more specific. In the interview in which I watched, when they asked him about it, he chuckled. (laughs) Well, that, yes. In the Uh deposition, when they asked him about it, he chuckled. And he also, I think you might be... I don't know if he chuckled about this incident. No, he he chuckled chuckled, about it. And then he was like, like beating Pamela Hobbs. During the deposition, it was also revealed that Stevie Branch's aunt, Judy Sadler, had said that Stevie told her that Terry was beating him. So Stevie had come to his aunt and said that Terry was beating him. Stevie had said that he made him hold his hands up in the air while Terry whipped him. So Terry admitted to hate it, to hitting Stevie. He had always admitted that like he would quote-unquote whip Stevie when he was getting out of line. Um, but he denied that he ever left any marks or welts on him. But Marie Hicks, who is Stevie's grandmother, said that one time when she was watching Stevie, she had found welts on him. And so she asked Pamela Hobbs about the welts and what happened. And Pam had told her that Terry had beaten Stevie with a belt. So similar to the story that Stevie was already telling to his aunt... So, Judy Sadler, (laughs) Stevie's aunt, had also accused Terry of sexual abuse of his children. Gross. Claiming that Stevie had told her that Terry came into his room at night and made him watch him masturbate. That's disgusting if Mm -hmm. it really happened. Mm -hmm. Amanda Hobbs, Pam and Terry's child together, so they're Stevie's half-sister. Yeah. She also claims that she had dreams of being sexually assaulted by her father, but she doesn't know if they were real or not. 
Yes. I just, I feel like if your kid is being exposed, like your child that is that young is being exposed, whether or not you're sexually abusing them to material that even allows them to understand what's going on in those moments or even be able they to describe feel, something have like that, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like dreams. Why would you have why dreams? Would you, why would you be in any position where your child would be exposed to something of that explicit material to where they're like, no yeah. kid is going to be able to imagine something like that on their own. It's yeah. just like when some kid comes out with an outlandish, like, t- touched him in the anal area. Like, yeah, where the like, fuck did you come you up with that, that yeah. phrase? It came uh-huh. from some. So even though Amanda Hobbs says that she doesn't know for sure if Terry had sexually abused her, she says that she knows for certain that he physically abused her and that he used to beat her. Yeah. During during the deposition, Terry Hobbs denied all of these claims. Well, Yeah. Of course. Nobody's surprised. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So there was another piece of evidence against Terry Hobbs, which is that Stevie Branch's knife, his pocket knife that he kept on him at all times, that Pamela Hobbs had said would have been in his pocket the day that he went missing and the day that he was murdered. It was found in Terry Hobbs's belongings. It was like a box. Yes, it was was found in a lockbox. Yeah. That was kind of was hidden. Walked away for a reason. Yeah. And the, the, the main thing is that it was a pocket knife that Stevie would carry with him yeah. all day, every day. Pam swears that Stevie had it on him at that time. Because it was like a Boy Scout knife. I Devils. was just talking about like trusting children and like their big emotions and them being able to communicate would not. Would you, you said these want kids were to eight? have a knife? They were well, eight. And that's why Terry, would you trust Terry's an eight-year-old with Devils a knife? <laughs> Terry's defense was that he took it away from him because he was like, I don't want my eight-year-old running around yeah. with a pocket knife yeah which, which like i would understand abso- i did to the boys yeah. there were yeah. times no, where like, i was I remember like i will hold on to this for you even when brian got his first knife when he was what 13 yeah and even still you were like here i'll keep this <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the, the main and, thing and then if he had taken that knife devil's advocate here if he had taken that knife because he wanted to hold on to it and then his child died he might keep it in a lockbox because I would do something like yeah, that as yeah. like a memorable the, memorabilia. To of- me, the main issue is that Pam <laughs> swears that Stevie had that knife on him the in his pocket the night died. that he died. Yeah, yeah. no, that's and definitely- so and like Pam was at work at a certain point because I think that the time frame Stevie came home asked to go and hang out with. Christopher Byers or with Michael Moore. Well, but did he, he came home after work? Terry came and drove Pam to work, and then that was the last time that Stevie was seen. Apparently, there's the whole um, issue of did Terry even see him that night? Right? Yeah, but according to Pam's story, right. Stevie came home from school at like two or three, at, and with other branch asked to come and hang out with Stevie. Stevie and Christopher left. Then Michael Moore came to ask if he could hang out with Stevie. Pam told Michael that they had already left. Then they were all gone. Then Terry came home from work and drove Pam to work. And then when Pam was picked up from work, Terry told her that Stevie was missing. So and if if it's following that timeline of events that Pam has set forward, 
then Terry should have never seen Stevie yeah. in order to take the knife from him that day. And Pam knows, yeah. in her mind at well, least, yeah. that and Stevie I mean, had if, the knife on him if, when she last saw him, when yeah. she went to, when he went to go and play with the other boys. Okay. So then, if that's the case, which, like, why would Pam lie about the last time she saw yeah. her son? Uh, like, and she knew at that moment that he had the knife on him, you know, like, on him. How would Terry Hobbs have gotten the knife without having seen Stevie before or after his disappearance? Yeah. And <laughs> claims to have never seen Stevie that day. Uh-huh. So, despite all of this evidence and the questionable testimony from many people who have since recanted their testimonies, like Vicky, um, who I mentioned yeah. in the previous episode, she recanted her entire testimony, yeah. said that she was coerced into I lying. Um, the <laughs> the other trust. person in the juvenile system who lied about um, Jason's testimony, saying yeah. that Jason had lied, or saying that Jason had come forward to him when they were in the same holding cell, he came forward and said that he lied about all of this testimony. Um, despite all of that, the West Memphis PD still says that the DNA is secondary transfer. So the DNA that matched David Jacoby and Terry Hobbs was secondary transfer. They said that with like absolute certainty. Yeah. And they said that Damien, Jason and Jesse were responsible for the murders. They said that with absolute certainty after interviewing Terry. Yeah. Which, how could you say that? I yeah. just, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't understand how at any point anyone has said anything with absolute certainty about this nobody case. nobody wants to admit that they're wrong. There's yeah. just so much. Everybody's pride is so wrapped up in the bullshit. And, and everybody has this fucking, oh, well, you know, it has to be them. Because how in the world could I have made a mistake? Yeah. yeah. But, like, no matter which side you lie on, I don't understand how there is anything with, like, absolute certainty. Yeah. I don't know. There's nothing about Anyways. this case that is certain. <laughs> So in 2011, a man named Blake Sisk called the West Memphis Three tip line that had been set up, claiming to be a friend of Michael Hobbs Jr., who was Terry Hobbs's nephew. So Blake said that when Michael and Blake were 12 or 13, they were playing together at Michael's house, so at Terry Hobbs's nephew's house, saying that they overheard Terry Hobbs and his brother Michael Hobbs Sr., crying in the basement and saying that they were sorry. They they said that they like went to the bottom of the basement and were trying to listen in and that I can't remember if they said they thought it was Terry or Michael saying but they said they heard someone saying that they were sorry for what happened. Um and this was very shortly after the murders. On a separate occasion, Blake and Michael Jr. were picked up by a third friend, Cody Gott. And Cody claimed that Michael was acting very strangely and being very quiet up until he had picked him up. And when Cody asked him what was wrong, Michael said that his father had just told him that his uncle Terry had killed the three boys in the West Memphis Three case. So we know for a fact that his father told the wrong person his secret to start off. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Hobbs Jr., said that his father, Michael Hobbs Sr., called this the Hobbs family secret. So so just like it was this big family secret that, like, Michael had to keep to himself, but his father had told him it. And I, I, I don't understand, like, what the 
purpose behind telling your fucking 13 year old son that your uncle killed somebody like I wonder if because I mean they don't say this in the story but you don't know the like inner family dynamics I wonder if because this kid heard this shit if he didn't press his dad for like what is going on yeah. or like subtly well, try to find out what's going on. So his dad finally told him this is what <laughs> happened. There was a third occasion. And on that third occasion, a separate friend was playing pool with Blake Sisk and Michael Hobbs Jr. When that friend asked what the West Memphis three case was like, I think either Blake Sisk or Michael Hobbs Jr. Had brought up the West Memphis three case and this third friend was like, I don't know what case that is. So Michael responded by saying, my uncle killed three kids in West Memphis. And Blake and the third friend, who they don't name in the documentary, I think he wanted to go anonymously. Yeah. Um, they said that Michael seemed completely serious. And he was like very, very like, serious about this. Just like, oh, yeah, my uncle killed these three like kids how? in this case. So all of these witnesses who had come forward to the tip line and had been interviewed took a polygraph test and the test indicated that there was no deception, Dang. which like I have mixed opinions on polygraph tests well, yeah, anyways, because it's very easy episode. to fail them. But I mean, it's a bunch of teenagers who have absolutely zero experience with the polygraph. Like, I yes. feel like all in three? order to fake a polygraph test, you at least have to train in some way in order to well, be able and what what to a polygraph so really shows what a polygraph test really shows is that you believe what you are saying oh yeah so, so at the if, very least all three of these people that came and testified said what what they said they believed to be true which, I mean, and for it to be three separate people to have yeah. the same story to come forward with that information and believe that it is true like they either would have had to work really hard on making that a story that mm -hmm. they had cohesive Everybody had. or it was true um playing devil's advocate given that these were a bunch of teenagers and um Michael Hobbs heard from his dad who you know as a teenager your parents were you know is like you know questionable when you're that age but still you believe him for the most part yeah you know like if this kid like heard from his dad and was like oh shit i believe you and then told his friends and his gullible ass teenage friends were like oh fuck that's crazy yeah so <laughs> yeah, it, it's playing devil's you advocate know, playing you devil's could advocate, say yeah. that michael hobbs senior lied initially and in telling his son this and they believed it, it. Yeah. but but it is pretty I, I don't questionable. Know. It's pretty questionable. And it is pretty interesting that that even of itself was still not enough evidence to do anything to <laughs> question Terry Hobbs or put him on some sort of trial or Yeah. yeah. Um I feel okay. like at this point so, at least so all trial. of this information <laughs> came forward in 2011 and also in 2011 the Arkansas Supreme Court ruled in favor of a new evidentiary hearing for all three of the convicted men in the West Memphis case. Nice. They said that Judge Burnett had been wrong in denying their initial appeal given that the evidence had been uncovered since the initial trial. So given all of the new DNA evidence Judge Burnett was wrong in denying a new trial. Like, that was yeah. just flat out what the state of Arkansas said. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, duh. Yeah. <laughs> Even Pamela Hobbs and John Mark Byers, two parents of two of 
different victims in this case, agreed that the possibility of a new trial for Damien, or they, they, they agreed with a new trial. Mm-hmm. They agreed that this was a good thing, given all of the evidence that had come well, forward yeah. since the initial trial, since the murders. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that we've wasted a decade and a half at this point, almost two fucking whole decades. Yeah prosecuting these people that had nothing to do with it and whoever murdered these fucking three boys are you know still no justice has been has been yes for these and it's it's, i feel like it's especially important that it is john mark byers and pamela hobbs because they were two of the very they were two of the most adamant that it was these three men who were convicted that had done it Mm -hmm. um so them coming out years later admitting that the evidence that was presented to them at the time was not enough evidence. And especially given the new DNA evidence and that the DNA had all but exonerated these three people that like a new trial should take place. And they were very, very adamant about that. Like John Mark Byers was at the courthouse the day that they went in for their new trial and everything. So Scott Ellington, who was the district prosecuting attorney, didn't want to go to trial. He, admitted that the evidence had deteriorated and that memories for any first-person accounts had been lost or had changed and stories could be different. He, he still, in the documentary, he wanted to make it known that the state didn't want to make a deal. But, like, the state was still very confident in the fact that they could win a trial if it was going to happen, but he said that the, they didn't want to go to trial. I just think it's so funny that, like, the parents of the victims of these these children whose entire lives have been turned upside down can be like, oh, fuck, I made a mistake. And I thought that, you know, I really don't think that what I had thought before was right. And now I'm totally willing to move forward and try to figure out the truth. But the state of Arkansas, who has absolutely no fucking stake in the situation, is like, totally. no, we're totally right. And anybody yeah. who says otherwise... Well, they they do have a stake in the conversation, and I'll kind of get into that a little bit later. So the possibility of an Alford plea was brought up. And for those of you who don't know, an Alford plea is a plea that allows the defendant to maintain their innocence while also pleading guilty. It allows the state where you are convicted to say that they caught the person while also allowing this person out of prison. It's like saying that there is enough evidence that if you went to trial, you could possibly get your conviction overturned. But instead of doing a new trial, instead of wasting the resources on it, you are technically still guilty, but allowed out of prison. It's basically a way for the state of being like, oh, we fucked up, but we don't want to have to do any more work. Yes. And it's, it's like also a no contest. Yeah. Plea. And, and it's a way for the state not to have to pay yeah damages for you being in prison being wrongfully convicted for 20 years like a a no contest plea means that you are admitting guilt in a way Mm -hmm. but you're going to be relieved from any sentence that might be applied and so you're technically guilty Yes. So stupid. Even it's, though it's, you're free. It's a really weird plea that <laughs> doesn't, doesn't happen very often. It doesn't make sense. And the reason they do it a lot of the time is because if 
it would have been done in the manner of like this was a wrongful conviction and we've overturned this conviction they would have they to, have to pay. pay yeah make them fucking pay compensation make them pay to all they of deserve the to pay I agree. because these people not only were there three victims of the boys that but, were murdered but there's three more victims at the hands of the state of fucking Arkansas that have no justice yeah Yes. Nobody has so, justice. Scott Ellington jumped on the offer to an Alvord plea. His higher ups, however, were concerned that this could backfire for him politically. Of so course. even during this whole thing, they were concerned more about How is their this political my setting. Image? Yeah, it's it's bullshit. It's fucking like bullshit. this entire all of the fucking people judicially who were involved were more concerned with where they sat politically. I've than now with ruined actual true six justice. entire families' lives. But how is this going to affect the way that the public views me? Yeah, yeah. So Damien was the first one to receive the the offer for the Alfred plea. And he jumped at that opportunity well, yeah, because he because... was the only one on death row. Yeah. So he was still slated to be fucking killed while Jason and Jesse would at least have the opportunity to possibly appeal again, to stay in prison for the rest of their lives. Um, Jesse also accepted the plea right away. But Jason, who throughout the whole thing, they all have kept saying their innocence throughout all of it. But Jason was like very upset the entire time that he should not accept a plea of guilt when he knows for a fact that none of them were guilty. Yeah. So yeah. Jason didn't initially accept the Alfred plea. Yeah, he was like, no, I'm not going to take I, it. Which yeah. I totally get in respect because my fucking pride probably wouldn't let me do that either. Yeah, well, and he wanted... I would have kept wanted, fighting for my absolute fucking innocence. And he wanted, especially with all of the new evidence supporting the fact that none of them had been because involved, he wanted to walk... As a free man, yeah, this, he wanted to be fully exonerated rather means, than being right, with given this that deal guilt. that they made. Yeah, that no, there's no further like no more trials can be yes. made, no appeals can be it's made. This is the final you're of all free. of it. You're free. You're free, but you're guilty. Yeah, and it's going to be on your record until you die and that you killed these boys that you didn't have anything to fucking do with. And if all you just three, like to wear black and listen to metal music. And if all three don't agree to it. Then it's off then the table. None of them get it. That's yeah. so fucking shitty too. Um, yep. Eventually, Jason because then did. I would have immediately been like, "Well, fuck, I guess I have to." Exactly. Like, <laughs> and that's what Jason that's, did. Yeah. Eventually, Jason did agree to the Alfred plea because probably because, because he of felt somebody yeah. reached out to he, him. Yeah. yeah, I think it, that he has said, or it has been like speculated. I don't know, but Jason accepted this because Damien was. On death row. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I honestly think it they, was, they were it was best Damien friends. and Jason, right? They were yeah. super close friends. Jesse, and then Jesse was like was very just far removed the from them. The time. But Jason and Damien were best fucking friends. And it's one thing if Jason, he's like, well, if I don't take this, I'm going to spend my life in prison. But it's another thing to but be like, if Damien I don't take this, my best yes. friend is going to die. Yeah. <laughs> so on August 19th of 2011, Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miss Kelly were released from prison after accepting the Alford plea. 
John Mark Byers had an interview the day that they were all released and said that this is not justice. And that's like a quote that really stuck with me because he is the father of one of these victims. And it's not. And it's not fucking justice because he, as the father, never gets to know or gets to see the person who actually killed his child in prison. And he understands that by these three people being forced, essentially, into taking the Alfred plea, Mm -hmm. that means that the state of Arkansas is no longer responsible for this case. And in their eyes, it is a closed case. So they cannot investigate it anymore. It's solved. That's the shittiest thing about the Alfred plea. Because in every case, it is assuming the innocence while maintaining the guilt of the person convicted. Yeah. So it means that no true justice will ever happen for Christopher Byers, for Michael Moore, or for Stevie Branch. And I think that's really important for us to focus on. Like, the main issue with all of this is that those three eight-year-old boys get these three children who were brutally murdered and left in a fucking river they will never get the justice that they deserve well and you didn't touch on the supposed interaction with the boys i did have notes on it at one point i don't know why they're not in my final notes but terry hobbs was said to be seen by the neighbor that he was he was seen speaking to all three of the boys at one point. I think maybe an hour before they were officially missing. He was seen speaking to them. He called them over. The neighbors saw him speaking to them. So they have said that Terry was the last person to see any of the three boys alive. But Terry says that he- Terry says he was with David Jacoby. There is a moment, if you watch the West Memphis, West of Memphis documentary, they speak to David Jacoby and they try, the producers try and lay out what Terry has said. David Jacoby does not adhere to that. Like his, his event of the night is very different from what Terry Hobbs initially said and what he said when he was finally interviewed by the West Memphis Police Department. Um, so I just want to point out that Terry Hobbs's initial interview and his final interview were both different, and both of those were different from Jacoby's interview. So no story that anybody no, told nothing aligned with any nothing other matched. story that anybody because David told. Jacoby because <laughs> Terry Hobbs has maintained that he was with David Jacoby the whole night and that they were looking for Stevie the whole night. David Jacoby said that Terry came to his house, said that Stevie was missing. They played guitar for a little bit. And then Terry left and left Amanda with him, which is Terry's daughter. He left and then came back at a certain point and then left again. Why would you be friends with somebody who's like, hey, my son's missing. Do you want to jam for an hour? (laughs) Yeah, no shit. The fact of the matter is, is that these three teenagers that were like, oh, this guy's uncle killed all these kids. Their stories aligned more than the the two people who are actually, you know, accused of killing these fucking kids. But nobody wants to go to trial for it. What was funny to me 
was in the West of Memphis documentary when Jacoby's talking about all of the shit, like his part of it and stuff. There's a point where he gets really sad. Yeah, he gets so emotional. And emotional. And you could view that in two ways. You could view that as somebody who did not know what was going on and is really upset now because of like like found out afterwards and he's really sad about it. Or you could view it as somebody who who has has massive amounts of guilt. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I honestly think if Jacoby was involved, that he was like circumstantial. And then it was like, I got to cover my ass and And I got to do this It would have been like, but that's all wild speculation. (laughs) I know. Wild speculation. That's all we can do is speculate because case closed. So, (laughs) yeah. Along with the Alfred plea, meaning that none of these three children who were murdered will ever get true justice, um, it also means that the three men who were convicted, it means that Damien, Jason, and Jesse cannot get any money back from the state of Arkansas for being wrongfully convicted. For all of the years that they lost. For the almost two decades that they spent in prison, they cannot receive any compensation I mean, imagine this. Okay, so they're my age now, essentially. Mm -hmm. And, and they went to prison when I was born. Exactly. Yep. So the judge at the Alfred plea hearing said that this was a tragedy on all sides, which I, I really appreciate because it doesn't diminish. Because I feel like th- this story is so interesting because I feel like people get really caught up in the wrongful conviction, which is a tragedy. Yeah. There's no doubt that that is a fucking tragedy. But I also feel like a lot of the time the deaths of these three children gets kind of tossed to the wayside because people focus more on the live victims of this crime than the victims who had been murdered. And so it it was nice that the judge acknowledged that there were two aspects where there was wrongdoing, these Mm -hmm. people being convicted and sentenced for 20 years, and then also these children whose lives were cut short at the age of eight. Yeah. I think on all sides, it's really important to point to where the judicial system failed. Because yeah. the system failed everybody. Mm-hmm. There yeah. were six fucking victims in this case. Mm-hmm. And the state of Arkansas was the perpetrator. Yes. Yeah. And there's yeah. the other aspect aside from the victims that there's the tragedy that the truth could be discovered at some point. But, but they the, don't want to fucking do it. But not even that they don't want to do it, that the state of Arkansas doesn't have to acknowledge it. Like the truth could come forward at some point. Someone could admit yeah. to yeah. these crimes and, and then they nothing would just could be, be like, done. no. Yeah. Because, because they have no solved. obligation because yeah. it did. is solved in the eyes we of Arkansas. We did a good job. State. We already gave ourselves yeah. a pat on the it back. Why would we revisit this? And in the documentary, there was one, was it the detective? I can't remember who it was that was saying, as far as I'm concerned, this case is closed. Burn it yeah. all down. Burn it all down. We and need to burn all of it down. It, it Legally, it's closed in the eyes of a lot of the the. Yeah, law like, enforcers. It's done. It's, it's, done. it's over. And the state of Arkansas gets to maintain the fact that they have never had a wrongful conviction. They didn't do. They anything get to maintain wrong. the fact that every single case that the state of Arkansas has solved has been correct. Yeah, because isn't that fucking wonderful? It's uh, burn it all down. Ah, okay. <laughs> anyway, so. In the West of Memphis documentary, Damien said that this kind of thing happens everywhere. Yeah. Which is yeah. very true. It does. And it usually happens to people of color. Exactly. Or people who are poor Kids. and don't have any 
option. Don't have any way to pay for legal fees. Yep. Don't Damian have any. said that kids who are dirt, dirt poor are sacrificed by the judicial system uh-huh. all the time and that their case was not extraordinary or strange by nope. any means because all so three sad. of these children were very poor. They came yeah. from the poorest neighborhood in one of the poorest counties yep. in the United States. And none of them were people of color, but had they been people of color, I can imagine. They wouldn't have gotten out. It would have been so much worse. This they, wouldn't have they, been a we documentary wouldn't be talking that about this right now if they were people of color. Exactly. But one thing I want to say, just like I went on a big rant with Kyle the other day about how sad it is, too, that like... I don't know. It's just so frustrating, like, the way that our prison system is. Like, there's absolutely zero vetting. Like, Kyle was talking about this crazy rampage that a bunch of teenagers went on in Aurora last week or something. Like, killed a bunch of people because they were all released from prison because everybody's so worried about COVID. But, you know, nobody could have foreseen this happening. But (laughs) meanwhile, you know, like, there's cases like this happening all over the fucking country. Nobody wants to let these people out of prison, you know. And it's just, like, so frustrating because not only... Are you, like, you know, like, not doing anything to make sure that you're vetting your fucking prisoners, but you're also stripping these innocent people of years of their lives. You're taking away their social skills, their professional skills, their ability to work a job, their ability to provide for themselves. And it's really rampant in, like, communities of color where, like, these people get released from prison, have no other fucking option but to turn to fucking crime because they don't have any skills to work in the real world, you know, and are constantly in and out of prison. Just the whole system is fucked. So Damien said that the case, their case wasn't extraordinary or strange. The only difference is that there happened to be media coverage of it. And there's only that's the only reason that they were ever released from prison. Had there not been this random HBO documentary, like yeah. Paradise Lost is the reason that these three men are out. Well, weren't they and doing that like Damien benefit is concerts dead. and stuff before that? And no, 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 no. Oh, no. Paradise Lost. Of the documentary. Paradise Lost, the HBO okay. documentary the was the first other than like local news coverage, mm-hmm. Paradise Lost is what made this a national story rather than just a local story in Arkansas. If it hadn't been for Paradise Lost, if it hadn't been for HBO, these three people would have died in prison. Damien would have gone to death row. He would yeah. have been yeah. put to death. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only reason that these three people were ever found, quote unquote, innocent in the eyes of the public. Yeah. Like, there are so many other cases where that just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it was just crazy circumstance. And it is, like, I think the Paradise Lost documentary didn't start as, like, an innocence campaign, which is what it kind of ended as. But the initial story, they were intrigued by the story of these three people being, of these three children being murdered. Mm-hmm. And they were very much in the camp of, like, these guys are guilty. Then yeah. when they came to actually start and document the whole court process and the proceedings and the trial, they realized that none of it was substantial evidence to convict That's them. That's so interesting yeah. that it started out as like, oh, like we just want to, you know, like document this case that we find interesting just because of the way that the the murder occurred, you yeah. know, like totally believing because that they were guilty, but then like it doesn't take a fucking genius or a goddamn <laughs> lawyer or a judge to figure out that these kids weren't guilty. Well, because the documentary gets in there before the trial. Like they are present during the trial before they are convicted. 
They are speaking with them while they while they're being held and holding, like before they go to actual prison, when they're just being held on like the charges. Like they got in there before they were considered guilty. And through that process, they were like, that's not correct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I will end. I mean, with- I just like just like pointing out, you know, the contrast of like documentaries, like true crime documentaries that are made today, like Making a Murderer. Mm-hmm. Who like, I believe that Brendan Dassey is like totally innocent. Oh, was absolutely. taken advantage of. But the other guy whose name I don't bother to remember is a fucking prick who I absolutely believe is guilty. Stephen Avery. Stephen Avery, yeah. I just feel like, you know, like I just feel like, you know, so many times the documentary goes in to like paint a situation in a certain light and like prove a point that they were trying to make anyway. And even just like bringing it back again to how little evidence there was in this case that even this fucking documentary that only existed to make a profit and initially went in to prove a certain point. Well, they and try I, so hard to spin it most times to prove the point that they initially went in to do. I will say while Paradise Lost is a great fountain of information for this case it's incredibly biased though no you can't take anything with a (laughs) listen i'd have tried as hard as possible to be as objective as possible in my entire researching of this paradise lost is good for certain information but it's so fucking biased and it you cannot talk about this case without also mentioning how biased these documentaries are yeah because Like, I know that there's a whole camp of people who are very much on the guilty side of this case. And in order to come to a true conclusion and in order to find some sense of justice in this case, you have to be able to look at both sides. And so if the only media that you consume for this case is the Paradise Lost documentary, I urge you to consume other parts of this case i urge you to read devil's knot i urge you to watch Mm -hmm. the even the west of memphis documentary i urge you to read terry hobbs's book i urge you to read all that you can because you cannot base your entire opinion on this case off of the paradise lost documentaries unfortunately the reality always lies between the lines um i To that point, I want to say that to anyone listening to this three-part series, I'm sure that it sounds a little biased. Um, And I fully admit, because I know that my personal opinion and my personal bias lies with the fact that these three boys were innocent. And that comes with, I, I hope that people take that with some like grain of salt it's our opinion it's it's our opinion but i also have done extensive research on this and so i hope the people listening to this if you had a differing opinion although at this point i don't know how many people outside of maybe west memphis arkansas have the opinion that these people are guilty just because of all the evidence that has presented itself but like i had i i did so many hours of research for this yes and i meant i went i tried to be as objective as possible and i fucking read terry hobbs's shit yeah and i read the opinion saying that these people were guilty and my opinion is still that these people are very innocent and it is good that they are out of prison and it is shitty that the state of arkansas has made it so that the actual murderer or murderers will never see fucking any time in prison yeah i agree no justice for those boys our listeners to know that me, Bell, has done absolutely zero research on this case. And I'm of the opinion 
the the <laughs> government systems that we have in place in America do the every man more harm than they do good. And I think that we should burn it all down. <laughs> Keep in mind that I've done okay. zero research on this case. And, and burning take, it all down is take, an extreme take. Uh, it's it's an expression. Yeah. We gotta we gotta metaphorically okay. burn it all down. We need a complete rehaul from okay. every single okay. aspect. <laughs> but here, okay. <laughs> I'm going to wrap up this entire three-part series, which has been a long time coming. It has. Um, <laughs> with just the idea and the, the knowledge that wrongful convictions happen everywhere. They are more common than you would expect. Yes. And, and they happen everywhere to people. Too. Yes. Co- they happen. Confessions. They happen everywhere to people that the government couldn't give less of a shit about. Yep. And I feel like that's important to keep in mind. And I feel like if you have anything to give, give to places like the Innocence Project, which helped in this case. They helped in the Stephen Avery and Brandon Dassey case, which I know even though a lot has come out about Stephen Avery. But like I I very much will contest for Brandon Dassey's innocence until the parallel between him and And Jesse Jesse Kelly is insane. I know. Um, but the innocence project does a lot of fantastic work throughout the country. They have helped many people who have been wrongfully convicted, get out of prison, get a second chance at a trial. And so look into places like the innocence project. If you resonate a lot with this case, look into places like the innocence project. I think it's important to, to remember like, you know, if you choose to to help organizations like the Innocence Project, that they're not only helping uncover the truth of people who've been wrongfully convicted of crimes that they didn't commit, like commit, but also keeping in mind that there's still three boys that were murdered who yes. will never find justice. If there's anyone out there that has any information, evidence, there are websites, there are programs for missing um, cold cases, missing cases. I don't know where you would document this. You could email it to us if you're listening to this, but please <laughs> share your information because these boys still deserve justice. Yes. And mm-hmm. if there is, I know this happened a long time ago, but if there is somebody out there that is committing heinous crimes against young boys, we should find them and we should yeah. stop yeah. them if we can. Right. Well, and Cold cases are solved every day. Look at the fucking exactly. Look at the Golden State Killer who was committing crimes in the seventies and caught at, in two thousand and eighteen. Like, you know how many crimes were solved from unsolved mysteries? If you have any information on this case, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And don't think just because Damien and Jason and Jesse have been out of prison, don't think that this case is over. Yeah, because it's not. No. It's not, and it's really sad to think about. But it's not fucking over until I mean, the actual. People who committed this crime. It may be over because the people involved may not be around anymore. That's true. They may die before we find any evidence. But I think, again, these boys deserve justice. Mm -hmm. The families deserve the information, what happened to their children. They deserve that closure. And like Hannah's already pointed out, it's important to remember that this isn't a one-off case either. Yeah. That's the case of the West Memphis Three. That's uh, it. Yeah, I guess. I've been waiting to say the end of that 
It's Forever. the end, and that is something f- ah! to be happy about. <laughs> you so. all should stay diligent, but I can finally get this out of my brain. Yay. <laughs> no, you did a great job, yeah, Hannah. A lot of research. <laughs> it was well-researched and well-thought out. Very good. Very mm-hmm. good. Thanks. A lot to think well about. presented. So now that we have come to that conclusion, yeah. do we need something happy to think about? I think yeah. so. I think it's time we move on to things that don't suck. Things that don't suck. Things that don't suck. Yeah. Woo. Woohoo. Who wants to go first? I want to go first. Okay, go, Bell. I finally cut my hair into a full-on <laughs> mullet. It's great. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's glorious. I feel like I've come into my final form. I've evolved. There's no moving past this. You are now a butterfly. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. I like it. Do you want to go, Hannah? Living my mullet dreams. Yeah. Um, (laughs) My thing that doesn't suck, which was going to be my thing that didn't suck last week, but we couldn't record because the computer freaked out, um, (laughs) is that I got a cool new tattoo. Hooray! And... It is pretty much already healed within a week. And I'm very awesome. excited yeah, about it. It's yeah. really cool. The line work's really great. It's still a little raised and a little dry, but it I'm very excited. And I cool. love it. Denver, which is fine. I, I prefer, I'm, oh, I'm just complaining about Denver dryness, but I would oh. rather complain about Denver dryness than if it were to get any more humid here at all, ever. <laughs> You'll move. I'll all move. Yeah, you told I'm me that. I'm it. Yeah, I was Where driving. Did you get your tattoo. Yeah, um, I got it at a place called Dead Drift Tattoo on Santa Fe in Denver, Colorado. My artist's name was David. He's fantastic. It was appropriately priced. His work is phenomenal. He was very kind. And uh, if you feel like getting a tattoo, head to Dead Drift Tattoo because it's really great. And I'm going to shout them out because they did great work. Nice. <laughs> Woo. What's your happy thought, Mom? What's yeah, your thought that doesn't you. suck? So I have a couple. So I have my happy thought that I was going to do last week, which was it's just a silly little thing. But George and I were shopping at JCPenney's to get him some clothes to go into the hospital. And um, we were walking and we heard that there were these two girls that were kind of walking behind us. And one of the girls was like, and he was like, I was just hoping that you could relax a little. And I was like, Tony, come on. And it just made me laugh so hard. I don't know why. It just made me laugh because her poor boyfriend, husband, whatever, partner was wanting her to relax. And she was just like, whatever. You know that's not going to happen, right? That was the voice. And then I turned to George and we were kind of chuckling. And I was like, that's me. Do you get it? Relax. And And you're like, "Um, um, what? George, come on. And so it was just funny and it was a fun moment. But my real happy thought is just the fact that George is doing better and the house is coming together. And maybe I could sleep a whole night through here soon. Hooray! Maybe I can like edit a podcast here soon and woo! Yay! Yay! (laughs) The small steps. Yes. The baby steps. See, but that's the thing is that when you take the baby steps, the more baby steps you take, yeah. it's all progress. It's all progress. It's yep. So so I guess that's it. Yeah. yeah. We wrap up this podcast. Hooray. All Yay. right. So um, we never did plug anything. No, we didn't. So. I was tickling Hannah's 
If you would like to send us a comment or a suggestion for a show. Tell us tell us your ghost story. Yeah. I want to know. It's yeah. not even about me. I won't even, if you want me to read it on the podcast, I'll read it on the podcast. If or, you don't want me to read it on the I podcast, just personally I just know. want to know. Or your small town murder. If you come from a small town, you have a secret murder, like a like a secret you to your town. Email your small us town secret. I won't tell. Yeah. I don't, my allegiances lie with nobody. If you have a secret, <laughs> yeah, it's safe with me. It's safe I'll with read Belle. it on the podcast unless you don't want me to, but you got to put it in. Unless you were like, <laughs> please don't read this. It will get read. Yeah, make sure that you are very clear with what you want us to do with your information because if you don't specify that you we'll don't just tell want, it we're going to tell it because we assume that's why you're contacting us. But <laughs> if you do want to contact us, you should reach out. Our email is ffsthepodcast at gmail.com. We are F'd Up Family Storytime on Facebook and on Instagram yeah. and ffsthepodcast on Twitter. Yeah, I think so. You can find us, like, I'm like pretty sure one of like our hands Handle, like if you search FFS the podcast, we'll come up. We'll hit story time. Our URL on everything is FFS. But the reach podcast. out to us. Reach out. Review us, please. Review us <laughs> when on you, Spotify or iTunes. When you review us on iTunes, it tells iTunes that we're worth listening to. Yeah. So if you think we're worth listening to, please take just like a couple of minutes out of your life to leave us a review. Yeah. I only dream of being able to quit my day job. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep dreaming. But even, even if you don't think we're worth listening to please say something about these three even, parts even because if you, i worked really hard and i want to know if it paid off even if you want to say something mean i might cry about I'm it accepting. i'm not gonna lie to you but i'll read your mean comment i might block you but it's okay you can send it just i just want to be worth somebody taking their time out of their day for somebody tell somebody. us if you think terry hobbs is guilty uh, we sure well. do yes we do tell us your opinion honestly tell us if you have information if you think that the West Memphis Three are guilty. Come on, fight me, bro. And I think that that might be enough plugging. I think so. Plugging. I don't know. The All, right. Actually. All right. Goodbye. So, have we worked on an outro? No. Lock your doors. No. <laughs> lock your doors. Do lock your doors. Do lock your doors. But not because of us. But we're not coming for you. Not because of us. Other people might be coming for you. But not us. We're not coming yeah, no, for you. But like other people could be. And other people. Do lock your doors. That's lock good advice. Doors. That's really sound advice. <laughs> we're too lazy to come for you. I mean, seriously. James just texted me and asked, would you watch Five Will Goes West if all the characters fucked in it? That's funny, because she was... I know! Five Will Goes West! That's great! We're gonna... I cannot. Okay, we're gonna...